You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Hey, Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 64 of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Manny, I know we have a lot we want to talk about, even right off the bat, so why don't we cut the crap, all right? And let's get to the social media first, and then we'll get into everything we want to say. That sounds like a smart plan, my friend. So for those of you listening, if you could please rate and review us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating and give us a positive review. It really helps increase our profile and allows more people to find this lovely little podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. And you can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. And we would love to hear from you guys. So if you want to send us an email, you can write us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Cool. Love it. Awesome. First order of business. Big shout out. Jordan Spires on the show last episode. Killed it. We talked some Toy Story 4. We were both elated to have her back. Isn't that right, Manny? Oh, 100%. It was such a delight to see our good friend Jordan back. Joining the uh, elusive two-time club, it was uh, it was a joy to have her on. I'm looking forward to her coming back again. That name could be improved upon. That really could kind of, <laughs> really, really, really could, but that's yeah. all I could think of off the top of my head. The, the two-time club will have a, a new member joining soon, I believe, but, uh, but more on that later. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, Indeed. so big thanks to Jordan. I mean, we had her on before for... Um, Annihilation. Uh, Anni- Annihilation, thank you. We had her on before, and she was really good. She even did better this last time. I think you would agree with me. She 100%. settled it. She seemed like a pro, right? Like, she just, like, settled right in. She fucking killed it. I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's going to be the Samuel and Jordan movie podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but both of our job securities are in danger. She might just take over the entire damn thing. In- so, yeah. Uh, Indeedio. So, thanks to Jordan. But that's not all we wanted to talk about because uh, said episode with Jordan – it was about two weeks ago. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. That's not that's not the schedule. No. And for diehard listeners of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast, probably will have penciled in this week as episode sixty-five. There's a there's a missing number in there somewhere. Manny, what the heck happened? Well, uh, life life happened, Samuel. Life, life happened. happened, and uh, we were both. Uh, well, I don't. You were somewhat busy. I was extremely busy. And we just couldn't squeeze in our originally planned episode for Independence Day. Uh, it definitely makes me sad because I was really looking forward to watching that treasure <laughs> of a film and discussing it. Um, but yeah, I just had too much going on uh, and we just couldn't make it work. So we had to postpone uh, that. But uh, 100% guaranteed we're going to be doing Independence Day for next year. Yeah, luckily I've heard that uh, Independence Day in the States was such a big success this year. They're planning on celebrating it again next year. So I'm uh, I'm thinking we just push it forward to then and uh, we get ourselves a nice little week-long vacation in the meantime. Nice. Well done. Yes, I agree. It was, yeah, I, I am sad, um, but I'm, I'm really glad that uh, that we could take that time because I just, I could not make it work. 
Yeah, it's all good. I mean, I'm pretty sure in the past we've canceled episodes for me for a lot more stupid shit than uh, what you canceled for. <laughs> so I think uh, everyone will find it in, in their hearts to, to move past this. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so again, I, I offer my sincere apologies both to our listeners and to you, dear Sam, uh, for having to uh, to bail. Uh, I will mull it over. Yeah, it's pretty rare that we have to. So I feel pretty confident in uh, in that apologies will be accepted. Yeah. I guess I guess we'll find honestly, out. I kind of I kind of just want to treasure this moment, honestly. When when you've <laughs> actually when I've not been the person to fuck up that so so that we miss a week. But fair yeah. enough. You yeah, revel in it, my friend. Revel in it. Absolutely. But uh, you did uh, you, you didn't stop being a movie fan in that time. You didn't stop being the film snob that you are. You uh, went out and saw something, did you? I did. Besides the movie that we will be reviewing today, I went and saw this beautiful film called Yesterday. It, uh, I actually, I saw the preview for it uh, a while ago, and I think I told you about it, and um, I was really looking forward to it. What kind of had me sad is how low the Metascore was on it when I looked it up. It's it's only at 56. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of you that don't know, yesterday is... Um, the premise is that... Let me see if I... Uh, well, all right. The IMDb premise is, a struggling musician realizes he's the only person on Earth who can remember the Beatles after waking up in an alternate timeline where they never existed. This movie is so fucking cute. It is so adorable. It has quite a few like laugh out loud moments. Really great use of the Beatles music and the idea of what someone would do if they were the only person that could remember the Beatles. It's so much fun. <clears throat> it's directed by Danny Boyle and he directs the shit out of this movie. There's a lot of Dutch angles. There's a lot of incredible camera movements. Like, he's just going all out for a movie that does not really require this kind of panache. But he's not—he's pulling out all the stops. But it's also written by Richard Curtis. And for those of you that don't know who Richard Curtis is by name, you'll know his films. Because this is the man that wrote Love Actually, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill... Uh, what else did he do? War Horse. Uh, la, 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 la. What else am I thinking of? I'm missing one. Oh, Bridget Jones Diary. Um, he is an absolute gem of a man. And this movie display has his skills on full display as a writer. And this is where... I can understand why the critics didn't really like this movie because the premise of a man who wakes up to discover he's the only one that remembers the Beatles, the movie's not interested in following what is a world that didn't know or knew the Beatles existed. What are the ramifications of that? This is more interested in using this premise in a romantic comedy. So the fantasy aspect of what would have happened if the Beatles hadn't existed isn't really followed through on. It's just more of a cute premise to get this guy moving along. And that's why I could understand why some critics don't like it. But 
the lead, um, his name is Himish Patel. I think he's on probably a popular um, UK show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then Lily James is is the love interest. It's such a fun movie. Like I, I it's such a fun movie. Um, yeah, I, I, if for anybody that like likes the Beatles, this is like a must see. And the one thing I want to say is that uh, Ed Sheeran's in this movie. He has a pretty large part, and he is having a fucking blast. Mm. Pretty much kind of making... Well, no, he's making fun of himself. He is playing a really amped up version of himself in this movie, and it is a delight. He is an absolute delight. I will just add, as a Beatles fan and as a rock and metal fan, if this podcast was about music instead and we had our Hidden Gems and Guilty Pleasures segment, a good number of them would be Ed Sheeran songs for me. That guy is a very, very talented songwriter. And then, ob- obviously just a really charming dude in general. Then there is a scene in this movie that you will be <clears throat> in love with. If 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 so, if anyone's even like a music fan, like just the art of music, of writing music, this movie is a must watch. Yeah, Sam, I highly recommend you go and watch this movie as soon as you can. And when you do, this movie, this, uh, I enjoyed this movie so much that I guarantee you uh, we'll be adding it into the podcast queue as soon as possible. This, really? This is a movie, uh, I really want you, I, I I'm looking forward to you watching it and then having a little discussion on it because if you like it as much as I do, I think it would make a really great episode because there's a really a lot to talk about. Yeah. In in the name of this podcast, I usually try to steer clear of like reviews and things like that. Um, try to develop opinions for myself before I uh, bring them to the show. But I, I couldn't help but notice th- this movie's premise really did intrigue me. I, I was curious to see how it was doing, and I saw that it had a really low meta score. And I honestly was disappointed. I was kind of considering maybe going, and then I saw its meta score was in the 50s, and I was like, ah, wh- whatever. It's you know, it- it's going to be nothing. But you know, I obviously respect your opinion, Manny Manuel. So, oh, uh, thank you. I'll uh, I'll have to give it a try, I guess. Yeah, please do. And then when you do, let me know. If you, yeah, let me know because I, I, I'd, I'd really like to discuss this movie with you. Are, I know you're not uh, the biggest fan of music in the world, but were you ever like a Beatles guy? Huge. Yeah. I shouldn't say huge. Uh, like, yeah, I, like, I there, went. There are some people out there who are fucking like huge Beatles people, like all they listen to. Yeah. Uh, I went through a Beatles phase where I listened to most of their music, but most of their early stuff. I don't know all their albums off by heart, but. Yeah, when they kind of start getting a little bit more experimental, like around Sgt. Pepper, I listen to stuff pre Sgt. Pepper. That's, that's kind of funny. I'm more like latter half of the Beatles. I'm into the more like psychedelic experimental stuff, and the you know the I want to hold your hands of the of the discography. I kind of you know don't don't listen to so yeah, much. Yeah, those are right up my alley because I'm a I'm a pop music freak. So that's oh absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> my my taste in music does not match my taste in film. <laughs> Yeah, and I know you're a bit you're a big romantic and a big softy at heart, so it doesn't surprise me that all those love songs are, are up your alley too. Yeah, yeah. Music. <laughs> I, if if Michael Bay made music, that's what I would listen to. <laughs> if Michael Bay made that's I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Hold on. So, 
What if? I mean, I've heard people describe dubstep as like the sound of Transformers fucking. So maybe, maybe you should be into more like electronic dance music. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, for for those of you listening, if you if you like music, if you like the art of music, and if you like the Beatles, please check out Yesterday. I, I honestly, I I was just absolutely delighted. It was a, an absolute delight to watch this movie. Yeah, cool. I'm uh, I'm intrigued myself, and I'm sure many others are as well. Awesome. <clears throat> so with that being said, let's dive into the meat of this episode. And this week, we are going to be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home. It is directed by John Watts, written by Chris McKenna, starring Tom Holland, Jake Gyllenhaal, Samuel L. Jackson, and Zendaya. has a metascore of 69. And the plot, following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever samuel what are your spoiler free thoughts on spider-man far from home all right spoiler free thoughts i I guess it should be mentioned off the top here uh with us both having such busy schedules as as we've alluded to already uh neither of us have this as fresh as we would like am i is that an accurate assessment where we're at uh i'm actually i'm i'm fresher than you i saw this two days ago but unlike we were recording on Wednesday. I believe I saw this on, I want to say Saturday night. No, we're recording on Thursday. This is Thursday. I'm oh, sorry. Jesus. I, this is how frazzled I am. So we're recording on Thursday. Excuse me. I believe I saw it on a Saturday. So yeah. I, uh, I'm not particularly fresh on it, but I'm, uh, I've been pouring over my notes, hoping to, you know, recapture the spirit of it all. So uh, yeah. Um, so you do have it a little bit fresher than that then? I do have a little bit fresher than that. That being said, generally when Sam and I review movies in the theaters, Sam and I like to go and see them twice. So we have a, a, a fresh take and a new take and a double check on things that we talked about. Since Sam and I were unable to do that for this one, we're going to go back to an old format of where we're going to go through the plot. So we apologize if any of you are opposed to that. If you were a enjoying our more free form of the later episodes, but mm-hmm. we feel that this is the best way for us to provide the correct and, and better version of, of this week's episode. Yeah. I'm going to need a crutch for this one for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear, uh, you said it has a 69 meta score. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. That's actually, that's in my opinion, a little bit low. Um, that being said, this movie's not great. It's not I think anywhere close to Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming is one of my favorites of the MCU. Uh, probably not, at least top three. Um, maybe behind the last two Avengers movies, Endgame and Infinity War. Uh, but that being said, th- this movie I-, I still found quite enjoyable. Uh, Tom Holland proved himself to be uh, the real deal as an actor. I think you've mentioned this to me before, Manny, but uh, he's... Uh, probably the best Spider-Man so far at both being Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I, I would just like to, you can strike the word probably from that yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll also mention I grew up on the Sam Raimi and uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, and I, I do really like them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the Spider-Man Homecoming is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. You can you can write that one down. You can you can quote me on that. Yep. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, Tom Holland is an absolute joy as Peter Parker in Spider-Man again. Um, we won't get into spoilers, but this movie probably has... It's the most excited I've ever been over a mid credit scene or an end credit scene. Oh, my God. Uh, it's, it's definitely my favorite experience in that. Um, the I thought the villain, Beck, uh, a.k.a. Mysterio, um, as much as I... Uh, 
like Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, you know, I, I didn't love him. I much preferred uh, Vulture uh, from Homecoming. Um, I, I guess, well, I mean, I, this was supposed to be the spoiler-free sh- section, I guess, but I did just kind of spoil that, like one of the major major twists of the movie, but whatever. Nobody Nobody's listening to this without watching the movie anyway. But uh, I, I didn't really like the, you know, the the about face in the middle of the movie or it's not that i didn't like it, it's just that i saw it coming a mile away as i think any savvy moviegoer would uh i would wouldn't expect. even say i wouldn't even say savvy i'd say yeah. any moviegoer any mo- anyone above the age of 12 knew that, that twist was coming i hope um but yeah I, I think uh it was uh it, it it took its time at the beginning to sort of assess the damage from endgame it took its time to sort of see like okay a lot of these people blipped is the term that they use for it um and just basically pop back into the world and five five years later what are sort of the consequences of that they didn't spend a ton of time on it but they addressed it and then they moved on in a in a natural and organic way so i loved it um yeah so i i think overall this movie is uh good it has a lot of fun it has a lot of good comedy in it uh villain's a little weak in my opinion um but it's a even if it's not a top tier mcu movie even mid-tier mcu is like pretty damn good so that's that's my assessment there. It's mid-tier MCU. Good, not great. Fair enough. Uh, I'm somewhat near you, but I have a couple disagreements. Uh, I would say this is about a mid-tier MCU movie, um, but I love Hall. I really liked him as a villain. Does he rank anywhere near Vulture? Fuck no, because the Vulture's top three MCU villain. Yeah, him- uh, Thanos number one, no question. And then maybe a Killmonger. And then the Vulture for me. Yeah. 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 I um, agree with that. But Jake Gyllenhaal, I would, I'd put him right up there. He's, I love that he doesn't have a, a dark, uh, and again, I guess we're spoiling the shit out of it now because we did give away this twist. Um, I love, uh, let's, well, let's, I'm circling back. Tom Holland is spectacular. And that's funny I say that because the spectacular Spider-Man. I should have called him amazing. Oh, the amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. Oh, okay. So anyways. No, that's Andrew Garfield. That's right. I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. It is the best rendition, hands down, without a doubt. If anybody says anything otherwise, then they don't truly know the character. Then they're 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 basing their opinions on the films only and not knowing the what's the word I'm looking for? Source material. Right. Because Tom Holland is the, is the best Spider-Man that's ever been put to film, and I hope th- that he continues to grow and stays with this franchise he's an absolute delight he's got this natural charismatic charm on screen that i love he plays peter parker so well and he plays spider-man even better i'm hoping that this is the kind of role that he sticks with and i hope he doesn't get sick of it because he's so great at it Uh, uh, go uh, ahead tom tom holland is going to be typecast as a charming yet kind of awkward person until the end of time he's going to be typecast into this role until he dies yeah and i'm if okay if we ever see tom holland play a villain it'll be 40 years from now yeah i'm 100 percent okay with it uh i really like jake gyllenhaal in the movie uh, i'm a, like you i'm a gyllenhaal fan and uh i like what he did into this we can we'll dive into that deeper when we get into spoilers and the movie itself the there are some I do have some minor complaints, but I was thoroughly entertained. There are some great comedic moments, and I love 
I just had a really great time. I don't believe it's at the same level as Homecoming, but that's that's still a pretty elite level to try and get to. Uh, this isn't a, a massive downgrade. There's a lot to like and a lot that was fun. It just doesn't match the the first film, in my opinion. I would agree with just about all that. And I, I did want to say on the Gyllenhaal point, I didn't like. I, I do like Jake Gyllenhaal, and I didn't dislike him in this movie. I just you know, the way his his it was more his character, I guess. Mm-hmm. I maybe I, I just be, being a guy who's not a big comic book guy, as you know. Um, I liked Jake Gyllenhaal. It wasn't crazy about Mysterio. I guess would be the most accurate way to put it. Fair enough. Okay, let's get into spoilers because there's a lot I want to break into there. Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, so if you haven't seen the movie, uh, sorry we spoiled something for you already, but we're gonna spoil the Ooh. fucking shit out of it. We oh. as in me. Yeah, you you did it first, and then I followed suit. Um, yeah. So there goes your free pass is already over before the before the podcast is ended. Yeah. All right. Uh, so if you haven't seen the film, here's your chance. Three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. Um, I guess we were gonna go uh, plot by plot, but I want I want to talk about Gyllenhaal. I want to talk yeah. about Mysterio. Did you know? Do you, did you know the character of Mysterio prior to this I knew, movie? I knew nothing about Mysterio coming into this movie. Okay. So, <laughs> being a, a, a film nerd, um, did you watch any of the trailers? Um, I've been trying to avoid them, but I couldn't really. Okay. Um, I, I, I think the last time I had seen one of the trailers was a while ago, so it wasn't particularly fresh in my mind either. Okay. Did you think that Jill Hall was the villain? Even before going into the movie? No. No? Okay. No, but, I didn't. But when it, as the movie was going along, you're like, oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah, I'm like, this guy is way too nice. Like, he's, he's a complete stranger. They're trusting him with an awful lot of stuff, and, and he's way too nice to Peter, and he has no character flaws whatsoever. He needs to be... If he's not the bad guy, it's bad writing. Okay. Yeah. The one giveaway for me to that definitely would have, if I didn't... Obviously, I knew who Mysterio was, so I, I knew that he was the villain going into the movie. Um, the one thing for me as a film nerd that gave it away is if he wasn't the villain, they would have shown a scene with him prior to him coming over to this dimension. And I use air quotes in a podcast because yeah. he, he talks well, about like how he's or, from... Like an origin story? Yeah, like if... You can't introduce the way he's introduced in the movie is when he shows up in Mexico with Mariah Hill and uh, Nick Fury. That's yeah. not how you can introduce a new character. Or if you do introduce in that way, then that fight happens and then you go into a bit of an origin story or something like that. You can't do it like that and him not end up being the villain. It's funny. I, I my uh, my Peter Tingle started going off during that scene as well. Yes, yeah. I. I I definitely realized when the, the lack of an origin story is just so not MCU. It's just so completely the opposite of what everyone wants to do uh, in these movies. So that, that kind of was a giveaway for me as well. But even more so than that, I think it was the amount of blind trust that was put into the character. Like, there was no... Like, like usually if they wanted to do an about face and have him be the good guy... They would have everybody except our protagonist see him as the good guy. Like the way 
to surprise us with him being the good but good guy would be to make Peter mistrust him and Peter be the only one be like hey this like we don't know this guy we can't trust him but instead everybody trusts him so the logical twist there is to make him be the villain I think yeah one second <laughs> sorry I will uh, I'll, I'll try to stall some more um, what, what I was saying about Jake Gyllenhaal that I didn't like the character of Mysterio it's not even that I didn't like him it, it's just that mostly it was a little bit predictable I know that fans of the comics will have known that he was a villain anyway but it, in my opinion it was just it was very very telegraphed what they were going to do with him um his origin story certainly isn't bad and he doesn't even really have any superpowers he's just a guy he's just he's just like a really smart guy who deals with illusion so i, I did like that about his uh about his character and about him being a villain it's just that i uh, like it was so telegraphed from as a non-comic book nerd, I want to go into this movie and be surprised, mm -hmm. which might be asking a lot from a, a franchise as massive as this one. But I feel like it has the MCU has shown that they have the power to surprise us still. And I just, you know, I didn't really get that. It, it was a little bit predictable. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what I was trying to look up was how to pronounce the city name in Mexico they go to, but I can't. So I'm not even going to bother. We're just going to say in Mexico. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I guarantee you it's not pronounced how it's spelled. Yes, uh, if somebody can tell us how to pronounce Ixtenko, uh, then we would appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in the comics, Mysterio is a, uh, he's like a stuntman and a special effects guy for movies. So that's how he kind of creates his illusions. Like in the comics, he doesn't have powers either. And so when they, when I knew that Mysterio was being cast in this film, um, and I saw Jake Gyllenhaal was playing him, I was just curious as to how they were going to do it. And then I caught a couple clips. I Thankfully, I didn't see a full trailer, but when I saw him doing his like magic stuff, I was like, holy fuck. I'm like, I guess they're just kind of retconning the whole character. He's just going to be... He's got the name. He's just not going to be the same guy. Um, yeah, which... well, I think, I think the take that they had on him, again, not having really any reference point from the source material, it seems to be a more... Modern might be too optimistic, but just like a more uh, like millennial version of the character, I guess you would call it. like there's there's like drones and yeah, and, like, and I, it, it's like all digital everything that he does. Yeah, and I'm fine with it. I like how they updated him. I I, I bought it. I like it. It was fine. It worked. It worked for me. It was just fine. Um, okay, let's dive in. In unpronounceable Mexico, Nick Fury and Mariah Hill investigate an unnatural storm and encounter the Earth Elemental. A superpowered man, Quentin Beck, arrives to fight the creature. I'm just going to keep going. In New York City, the Midtown School of Science and Technology restarts its academic year to accommodate the students who were among those resurrected in The Blip eight months prior. The school organizes a two-week summer field trip to Europe where Peter Parker, still distraught over Tony Stark's death, plans to confess his growing feelings for classmate MJ and avoid heroics. Uh, at a fundraiser for the homeless coordinated by his Aunt May, Parker is forewarned by Happy Hogan that he will be contacted by Fury, but Parker chooses to ignore the call. Parker leaves after being overwhelmed by questions about Stark. Boom. I don't really have much to talk about with the Mexico scene unless you do. Nope. Okay. But the opening news report by the school was a fucking highlight. Yes. The I, I am so glad they decided to go the, the comedic route with it. Yes. And they did just decide to do a tearjerker right off the bat. It was just really cheesy and poorly produced and overly melancholy. Oh. 
and the students doing the presentation had no idea what they were doing. It was really, really funny. It was spectacular. It was, yeah, everything you said with Whitney Houston, I will always love you playing over top of it. I love they that have the, like some stock photos in there that even say like Getty images. Getty images. Oh, <laughs> brilliant! And then it's like I love, I love that they pick the absolute worst name for what happened. To everybody, like all of the fans and all of we've been calling it the dust, the dusting, the snapping. Yeah, the snap. Um, you know all that, and they call it the blip. Like it's the worst <laughs> fucking name ever for it but it's exactly the kind of thing that people would say and they again they show what happens like they show that scene where the band disappears and then comes back in the middle of the game five years later and one of the i don't know if you saw but one of the band members takes the ball to the face yeah i did it's so it's played so funny like this is something that is definitely deadly serious but this movie isn't going to explore that but they're not going to pretend it never happened and i love that and that's again one of the lines they said they are talking to a student he's like i came back and my younger brother now is my older brother and he's so (laughs) confused by it it's his genius way to reference what happened and then to 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 acknowledge it and then to move on these are the rules we're going to play by we're not going to be touching on this massive global tragedy in a somber way because endgame did that we're we're on a comedy get hold on we're playing in that same universe but we're gonna have some fun with it let's go that's that's exactly the point i was gonna make i'm glad you went there it's just that when i was first watching this i did have that thought i was like you know this is really funny but why can't we explore it in a little bit more serious way? Why, like, I, I kind of do want to see the effect that this is going to have on people and families and relationships. But, like, you're right. We already saw that. We did see that in Endgame. I don't yeah. necessarily need a ton more explanation on that or a ton more exploration on that. Maybe down the line it, it could happen in another franchise, but Spider-Man Homecoming set its own tone. And it said right from the get-go, hey, we're going to be different and we're going to be really funny and we're going to look at things in a different way. So I think that the take that Spider-Man uh, or uh, Spider-Man Far From Home takes on the blip is certainly more authentic to the franchise. And it uh, it's certainly more on brand. I, I really liked it. Yeah, totally. I don't know if you noticed, and I didn't make this connection, but um, they have a little trend going on with the Spider-Man movies. Did you Have you picked up on it? Homecoming. No, no, not that. The actual films themselves. Both films start with the origin story or the reveal of the villain before the credits. Okay. And then after the credits, and by credits I mean the opening credits, like the Marvel logo, it's opened by a poorly shot film. Because uh, yes, in the first in, in Homecoming, it's the Captain America videos, right? No, in Homecoming, it's the it's the video that Peter Parker takes of himself going to Germany in Civil War. Right. Yes, that's right. Right, and this one opens up with the school news reporters talking about the blip. Okay. Yeah. Is do you think that's a like? I, what is the purpose of that Easter egg? I don't know if it's a purpose. I just like it's it's the same as like the opening of every James Bond films. The the James Bonds always open up with James on a mission that has nothing to do with the actual story. It's sure. just a fun thing, and then boom, you go into the whole Bond and the Bond song and stuff like that, and then it gets into the movie. It's just. If they do it for the third one, I'm going to be ecstatic. The opening scene from Spectre is like the only good part of that movie. Oh, that's the, 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 the Day of the, uh, Dead, the Day right? of the Dead, right? Festival, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I do. I, I really like that. Yeah. Shit. You did? No, I did. I'm oh, just okay. thinking. I'm like, I need to rewatch Spectre. No, I mean you don't really. Chris, <sighs> I am a huge Christoph Waltz fan, and he's like the worst part of that movie. <sighs> All right. Um, <laughs> this is where we also get a little amusing part of uh, Happy Hogan flirting with Aunt May. There's some mutual attraction there. I love there's a little moment where May and Peter go to a restaurant and she gets free dessert. That made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guess that's kind of it for the opening. Did you want to touch anything else before we move on? Uh, well, I mean, if we're at the uh, the fundraiser, um, are, are, we are at the fundraiser, yeah. right? Yeah. I did like uh, I did like Peter being overwhelmed by questions. It was ah. kind of reminiscent. It reminds me a lot of Iron Man three actually, which I have only seen a small handful of times. Mm -hmm. But it reminded me of Tony getting a little bit overwhelmed in public and succumbing to a PTSD attack. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Peter getting swarmed by all the reporters and uh, being asked, "What is it like to take over for Tony Stark?" Uh, I, I like that moment, and it kind of works on a few levels, right? Because Robert Downey Jr. is no longer going to be in the MCU. Tom Holland is also kind of going to be taking over for Iron Man, probably as like the face of the franchise. So it, it kind of works as like, oh, like on, on a few different levels there. So I, I liked that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Parker and his friends travel to Venice, where the water elemental proceeds to wreak havoc on the city. Beck arrives and destroys the creature, while Parker attempts to help. Fury meets with Parker and gives him Stark's glasses, which were meant for his successor. The glasses are equipped with the artificial intelligence Edith, which has access to all databases of Stark Industries and commands a large orbital weapons supply. <clears throat> this completely glosses over the fantastic part where Ned is planning on being a bachelor in Europe. And the entire botched seating arrangement on the plane, which plays into the teen romantic comedy that this movie is aspiring to be. And then in the course of one plane ride, Ned and Betty become a couple. And it's an ongoing joke that just mines the gold of these two actors. I, I have to say, Ned might be one of my favorite uh, comic relief characters in these movies. He's, he's great as the sidekick, or I guess as he's called in Homecoming, the guy in the chair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I guess if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna number one for me would be Michael Pena in the Ant Man films. Yeah. Um, but Ned would be up there for sure. Uh, him and uh, the actress who plays uh, Betty Brant, I don't have off the top of my head. Her name is Anjuri Rice, I believe. Anjuri. Uh, sure. We can okay. go with that. We can, we will go with that. Um, they have a, a really beautiful and lovely chemistry between the two of them. And like I said, they keep they keep going back to the well for that joke, and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> it is it is also I, I will add we all know a couple who's in that honeymoon phase who they just <laughs> love you, babe. Thanks, babe. Uh, so annoying, but I, I like I liked it. It was annoying in a really funny way. Yeah, but it's just so relatable. Like we've all been friends with someone who gets into a new relationship and is just insufferable. Yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, and his name is T-Bone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mazel top T-Bone, if you're listening, by the way. Yeah, congratulations, T-Bone, on your wedding. Yes, cheers. Uh, um, I love that Parker was avoiding Fury, but they get to Venice, and then Ned gets trank-darted by Fury. And uh, it, that was fun. <laughs> the Edith glasses 
were spectacular. Is that perhaps the greatest acronym of all time? Yeah, even what is it? Even dead. Even I'm dead, the I'm the hero. <laughs> even dead, I'm the hero. Yeah, I wasn't again not being uh, not having read the comics. I wasn't sure if that was like stolen from from the comics or nothing. Anything like that, I, I've never heard of it, but it's fucking <laughs> spectacular. The fact that the acronym doesn't have its own Wikipedia page, it's that that word is not in blue on Wikipedia. So I'm I'm guessing it's probably original. Oh, I di- I laughed hard at that. Yeah. The the whole Edith sequence is so good, and they even they even use it. This is the best part of it. They even use it to show the character of Peter Parker. Like it's not it's not enough to just have this funny sequence. Like you need to be this. You need to have the sequence be about Peter. Mm-hmm. And he even has this like little moment where uh, he has the opportunity to look at MJ's text messages and like all of her fo- and all of her history, and. He proves himself to be different than Tony Stark in that moment. And like he looks away and says, "No, don't look, don't look at that. That's wrong." Yeah. And he proves himself to be different than Tony Stark in that moment. That's a really actually subtle writing touch that I'm glad they in, they inserted in there. Yeah. Again, it's just kudos to to the writers and the people at Marvel who once again show that they know what they're doing with their characters, unlike other cinematic universes that will remain nameless. DC and. <laughs> Uh, the water elemental fight in Venice, uh, well done. The special effects in this in this movie are really well done. There's a couple well, when we get near the end that I found a little bothersome. Not the special effects, but it's the same complaint we've had before, where the the overuse of CGI fighting is on full display in this movie, and it's the same complaint you and I had with Black Panther. And things like that. And it's kind of... It's going to be hypocritical of me because I'll jump forward. The final battle scene was problematic for me with Peter fighting all the drones. But the scene where Peter goes to the warehouse, and I've just kind of referred to as the nightmare scene, um, where at the end he gets hit by the train, is spectacular. Yes, it very much is. Honestly, I I will agree with you that the warehouse scene is really good, but I I even if I'm correct in uh, which scene you're referring to at the end, um, the one where he he even says to himself, um, like he gets he gets inserted into the illusion again at the end, and he just closes his eyes and says, "Come on, Peter Tingle," and he like bounces all over the drown- drones. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was really oh, cool. No, I meant the one where he goes inside the illusion. Oh yeah, and he's uh, he uh, yeah he's he's shooting webs at all the different drones, and he like zaps them all at once. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, we're we're jumping ahead, so we'll get there. Yes. Um. Uh, Beck claims the elementals killed his family, and that he hails from a different reality, one among many in the multiverse. Parker rejects Fury's call to arms, opting to rejoin his class, but Fury covertly redirects the school's trip itinerary to Prague, where the fire elemental is projected to strike. Uh, uh, okay, I don't really have much to say there. It appears that a carnival, but Beck, with Parker's help, destroys it. Fury and Hill invite Parker and Beck to Berlin to discuss the formation of a new superhero team. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Uh, the comedic elements leading up here, I love the 
eye-rolling part of Peter where he says no to Fury and then Fury redirects all the students to Prague was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, the It's on the way to Prague where the scene where Parker shows his true character by not looking at MJ but almost kills his classmate. <laughs> Which, by the way, every time... Peter gets a new piece of technology from Tony Stark. He <laughs> almost kills a lot of people with it. That's uh, that's what happens in uh, when he's trying to figure out his suit in Homecoming. Uh, he uh, he almost goes on a rampage with it. Um, what is it? Uh, kill mode or in- instant kill? Instant kill mode. Yeah, is uh, is played played really nicely in the first few movies. But yeah, every time he gets a new piece of technology from Tony Stark, he almost causes mass amounts of doom with it. Yeah, and it's not surprising. He's, what, 16 years old? Yeah, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it, that Tony Stark entrusted this guy with his technology. I, I, I would hesitate to say it's a bad move by Tony Stark because he knows that Peter is one of the most trustworthy, honest people in the universe, but it's... Uh, maybe maybe not the safest hands let's put it that way agreed agreed <laughs> should have gave it to happy yes absolutely should have given it to happy um the introduction to night monkey occurs in Prague. <laughs> <laughs> another great ned line like that that might be one of my favorite lines in this movie when he makes up the name <laughs> it's like no i heard about this guy it's not spider-man it's to- someone totally different his name's night monkey <laughs> Oh man, I, I cackled. Yeah, it was really dumb. It's so good. Uh, a, a, and then they're, they're screaming at him to help the night monkey help, and it's really <laughs> dumb. And Peter's so confused; he has no idea what they're what they're saying to him. Yeah, uh, it's a good little fight scene with the fire elemental as well. Um, and then uh, I do love the the big nerd moment where um, Beck tells Parker that there are uh, there's more that there is a multiverse and Parker starts going off on the intricacies of what the multiverse could mean. And Fury's just like, stop talking nerd. (laughs) And it's funny. This is another moment that I definitely thought Mysterio had to be the villain. There's no way he couldn't be. It's because he looks at Peter apologizes after he nerds out about the multiverse. And, uh, Beck looks at him and says, yes, don't ever apologize for being the smartest person in the room. And at that moment, I was like, Beck's a fucking bad guy. There's like, he's too nice. He's yeah. too good. Yeah. The right. Ra- this would be the la- the most lazily written character of all time if he was actually just this good. Yes. So. I, I agreed, hundred percent. But I yeah. love when he says that line, the pride that goes across Peter's face. Yeah, and you can just tell Peter's eating it up. Like, that's one thing about this movie that I'm really glad they took their time to do is show why Peter trusts Beck and why he respects him so much and mm-hmm. why he ends up giving him Edith because that's a decision that could really play as out of character for Peter. You really need to be careful about making Peter naive to the fact that Beck's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Because it, it could wind up blowing up in the writer's face, making Peter trust him. It could make the audience really lose respect for your protagonist. And it's played really naturally. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I was a big fan. They, they Again, uh, kudos to the writing, the setup, everything. But again, like even an average film goer saw the, the twist coming a mile away which is what we're going to get into right now. Um, yes. Parker considers Beck worthy of being Stark's successor and bequeaths him the Edith glasses. 
Unbeknownst to him, Beck is revealed to be a former holographic illusion specialist at Stark Industries who was fired for his unstable nature, and now leads a team of disgruntled ex-Stark employees and uses advanced projector drones to simulate the elemental attacks and masquerade as a hero. This is one of the highlights of the movie when Parker bequeaths Edith to Beck. Yeah, kudos to the Wikipedia page for properly using the word bequeath. I know. I'm a big fan of that word. I'm going to be overusing it for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> that whole scene and that turn by Gyllenhaal, and this is where Gyllenhaal shines as an actor. When he goes into the crazy mode or, the un- or into a character that is unstable in any way, this is where I feel that Gyllenhaal really excels a la Nightcrawler. Yeah, is, I was just going to say I got total Lou Bloom vibes in this in this role. Yeah, he is uh, so fun and so good in this scene as as soon as Parker leaves, the hologram starts to fade away and he just goes over top. And this whole introduction of each of his the main people in his group and the flashbacks to how they were screwed over by Stark was a fucking joy to watch. And this makes uh, two superhero movies in a row, or two Spider-Man movies in a row, where uh, Peter's main villain is someone who's been fucked over by Tony Stark. Yes, yes. Um, the actor uh, who plays uh, William Ginter Riva, that's the kind of like the second in command. To, right, the, uh, the glasses wearing, uh, Mysterio's guy in the chair. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who he is? I totally recognized him. I, I couldn't tell you who he is off the top of my head. Do you head. want to know who he is? Yes. He is Ralphie from A Christmas Story. <laughs> like, the, like the main character? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Jesus. Yeah, I, I guess he is. This is the most shocking revelation I've had since learning that uh, the the kid from E.T. is actually the dad in Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's... He, he's uh, I, I was blown away. And I love that he was in the first Iron Man as well. Like he, That scene that he's in with uh, Jeff Bridges is a real scene and stuff like that. I love this whole scene where they... I guess they they retcon uh, they retcon Barf, and they they put Gyllenhaal in the background of uh, Civil War, and they uh, they show uh, he gets upset that it's renamed Barf. He's pissed off at Tony. I, I love like this this whole scene was it just sets everything up perfectly for me. Yeah, I, I will admit I kind of I did kind of roll my eyes that they couldn't come up with a better motivation for Jalen Hall than not liking the name that Tony Stark gave his uh, his invention. I like that it's so simple. I love that this guy doesn't have world domination plans. He's not here to kill the world. There's no blue light in the sky, kind of thing. Mm. He's just he's just bitter, angry, unstable, and wants to uh, wants to exact his revenge. Which I, I will admit i I do like i I do like everything you just said but it is worth pointing out that all of those qualities have been done before and better with vulture totally totally vulture is a spectacular villain um (sighs) 
yeah, I think I'll just move on from there. MJ yeah, sure. deduces, oh my God, MJ deduces Parker as Spider-Man. They discover that a piece of debris she retrieved during the carnival battle is a projector that presents a simulation of the air elemental, leading the two to realize Beck is a fraud. Mm. I mean, we can talk about MJ deducing that uh, Peter is Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. Fire. Uh, for, first, first of all, I, I, I'm really upset because this line was spoiled for me. Uh, I, I think it was in the trailer, if I recall. But the, you look pretty... Oh, so therefore I have value. Oh, that's, that's great line. line. Great that? line. Yes, absolutely great line. And uh, it makes it like their little flirtation there makes it really bitter that Peter has to leave her at the opera. Like that's uh, that's a really good line. Yeah, and this is one of the things where again they get right. They where Parker all he wants to be is he just wants to be on this vacation and he wants to be with his girl, like or to try and get his girl. He's in love. He wants to impress her. He wants to win her over. And he wants to do it without revealing that he's a superhero. And the plan that he originally intended was a great plan. And I love the flirtation. I love the cat and mouse game. I love that you can tell that they both like each other, but neither one wants to admit it because that's what you do when you're a teenager. It's so well representative of of what, in my opinion, of teenagers. I remember being that way. Can I bring up something that's kind of irked me about this movie, and I, I want you to sort of uh, change my opinion on it? Yep. Because you're you're usually very good at doing that. So, <laughs> I, <clears throat> Spider-Man 2 was my favorite superhero movie growing up. Like, I'm talking pre-Iron Man. Like, I, I grew up on the on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, as I've, as I've said already. Spider-Man 2 is brilliant. Yep. Spider-Man 2 is amazing. What I like about that movie as an adult even is how much they show just what a toll being Spider-Man has on Peter Parker's life. Like they really the writers really treat Peter Parker like garbage. It affects his living situation, it affects his relationship with his friends, it affects his relationship or lack thereof with MJ. Uh, it it just it really takes a toll on him and he kind of has to make the decision, you know, is being spider-man worth all this garbage that i have to go through and the movie does a really good job of making him make the decision to be spider-man and own his role i i felt a little bit robbed of that in this movie like i felt like that movie was trying to go down that path especially with uh peter leaving mj at the opera like yep. they have their little flirtatious moment and he kind of has this like decision like shit i have to I have to go work now i have to go be a superhero and i have to disappoint mj but they kind of rob us of the stakes that are uh, set up there when she then figures it out on the bridge and she just says, oh, you're Spider-Man, right? Like it, that felt like a cop-out to me. Even though it's played for comedy and even though it's a good laugh, I felt like the writing kind of let me as a fan down there. D am, I, am I making sense? You are making sense. I didn't see it that way. What I saw this as is the writers not allowing MJ to be stupid. She okay. she saw <clears throat> she saw Spider-Man in Washington and now that she's seen what appears to be Spider-Man in Europe the two things that are the same she's with the same group of people who hasn't she seen at the same time Peter Parker yes so her deducing or like I think she said she was like 95% sure it was him yeah um I I like that because it allows her to not be stupid because one of the things you have to have with superheroes is a suspension of disbelief that people won't piece so-and-so together. 
It's like yeah, like Clark Kent is indistinguishable from Superman except for his glasses. Yeah, thank you. That's the, like the exact thing. So I like that she figures out that he is, and at least <laughs> at least in this movie there is a setup. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking rip apart a movie that I enjoy, but a fucking part I hate. At least there's some setup for MJ to deduce that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Unlike The Dark Knight Rises, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt saw Christian Bale and saw in his eyes that he was... Saw from a look on his face that, that he, he was, was Batman. Batman. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, that really is dumb. lazy. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That is lazy writing. There, yeah. I enjoyed The Dark Knight Rises, but there are things in that movie that fucking anger me to no end. That... We should talk about the Dark Knight trilogy at some point. I know we've already talked about the Dark Knight, but I don't know. I feel like the, the trilogy is uh, is waiting to happen. We could definitely do that. I, I would love to rip apart the Dark Knight Rises. Oh. <sighs> I can feel the anger rising. So, so yeah, the, uh, the, the point I was just trying to make, yeah, I, I see what you're trying to say about I, I really like that they didn't just make MJ stupid. MJ, by the way, a, a tangent off of a tangent off of a tangent here. Uh, but I love the character of MJ in this movie. Yes. Again, having not read the comics, I don't really know what she's like. She's nothing uh, like this. They really go a different direction. She's like a really dark but really witty and funny girl. She's still kind of awkward, but I, I really like the character of MJ uh, in this movie and in this series. Yeah, this is a bit of a departure from MJ from the comics. Um, not that she's a, a, a bimbo and a, a, a somebody that's stupid she, in the comics she tends to be a damsel in distress though no a little bit she definitely gets better later on um she's not, she's not just a damsel in distress she holds her own she is a, a a good character in the comics but she's not as kind of nerdy and dark as she is in this film i like this take i like that there's some difference uh, and i really like zendaya in this role they have her and tom holland have a really great chemistry yeah uh, I think may maybe what I just would have liked from this movie a little bit more. I don't mind that MJ deduced it. I, I don't think that's mm -hmm. it's not what I'm trying to say is the problem. Yep. It it could it could just be the placement of that scene in the movie. Maybe they could have delayed her figuring it out or at least saying that she has figured it out. Maybe they could just delay it so we can get a little bit more decision making from Peter. Maybe they can delay it just so we can see him really have the the toll taken on his personal life that I think this movie was trying to go for yeah fair enough your, your complaints aren't without merit yeah and i understand what you're trying to say yeah i don't i don't know if i'll be able to convince you otherwise probably not but i mean you usually can <laughs> i try um yeah. let's see uh parker travels to berlin uh yeah this is where i want to get parker travels to berlin and meets with fury only to realize that the version before him is an illusion created by beck he battles multiple illusions before before Fury apparently subdues Beck. Fury forces Parker to reveal anyone he told a deception before being revealed as another illusion and then ultimately is hit by a train. This is one of the visual highlights of the film and perhaps one of the visual highlights of the MCU. This whole it's up there with the Doctor Strange sequence. This whole sequence... This, this, is, this whole sequence makes me kind of wish I'd seen it in 3D. I did, by the way. And that, do you think it added to it? Uh, yeah, this, this sequence was pretty spectacular in 3D. Fuck. 
one of the few times I don't <laughs> watch something in 3D because I was like, yes. I, I had a choice, and I was like, I'm going non-3D. Yeah, honestly, I mean, more often than not, if you can make the decision to watch something in 2D, you just should. Yeah, 100%. But this is a highlight of the film for me, this whole sequence. The visuals they use, the way they play it out, the staging, the CGI, everything that Beck does, that Mysterio does to Parker in this whole sequence is spectacular. Um, This is actually another thing I kind of just want to ask you about. Um, Do they ever really give a reason why Peter's Spidey sense isn't really working through the first half of this movie? They they just talk about it at the beginning. They don't give a reason, but remember Aunt May says something or mentioned something about his Peter tingles and he says which I fucking I fucking love that joke oh that's such a great joke they get exactly the right amount of mileage out of that joke yes yes they do I Um, think if they had mentioned it one more time through the movie it would have gotten a little old but they 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 paid it off exactly the right time oh it's it's spectacular they um they don't give a reason why but my guess would be PTSD after Endgame yeah that was maybe another part of the writing I just thought was a little underdeveloped. Like, they could have given... Yeah, like, if they had... Not that I need everything spelled out for me, but, you know, they, they don't really... Th- this should be a big problem, right? The, the, him not having his spidey sense should probably be a bigger problem than, than it's panned out to be. So when he closes his eyes at the end of the movie and says, come on, Peter Tingle, that should be like a stand-up-out-of-your-chair-and-cheer sort of moment, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so I, I think if they had made it a little bit bigger problem in the screenplay, maybe that payoff could have been a little bit better too. I agree. I agree. Uh, 100% agree. It definitely yeah. a, a touch or a reason. And for, for me, I was just under the, I guess because I'm a nerd, I just, when, when May mentions it at the beginning and Parker says, it, I can't remember exactly what he says. He, 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 he acknowledges what she says and reaffirms that his spider sense has not been working. Yeah. And so, or Peter Tingles, which is so fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> they definitely, if he had said something along the lines of why, it definitely would have reinforced. And I agree, if if they had reinforced a reason why his spider sense wasn't working, when he when the Peter Tingles come back and he defeats Beck at the end, it would have been a total stand up and cheer moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe maybe we're just wrong because again, uh, it's been been a while. Oh, one one watch. Maybe it's one of those things you notice on rewatch. It's yeah. a, maybe it's a maybe it's a subtlety that's slipped through the cracks. For sure. Um, Parker survives being hit by the train, uh, albeit badly injured, and falls unconscious in a train car. Awakening in a jail cell in the Netherlands, he breaks out and contacts Happy Hogan, who flies Parker to London and reveals a suit manufacturing machine left behind by Stark, which Parker uses to synthesize a customized costume. Uh, I heard one of the reasons that he was in the Netherlands is a play on his last name, Holland. A play on what, sorry? Tom Holland. Oh, that's actually really funny. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But I a, hope it is. It's something I heard. No, uh, really I funny. I love that the Netherlands people are played almost as like European va- uh, versions of Canadians. So yeah. friendly. Side note, that's how you make fun of a nationality, right? Yes. That, like I think that is just the most positive stereotype you can possibly have about a nationality i i thought it was i really enjoyed the whole uh netherlands sequence like, oh, especially me too. in the prison they're all just so nice and happy and smiley it's ridiculous yeah and after he breaks out one of the guys goes back and closes the door on themselves yeah 
<laughs> yeah, don't, and don't they all know like the ins and outs of the of the prison guard's life? Like, yep. didn't he just have a kid or something? Yeah. Oh yeah, it it's great. It's a it's a very maybe what two minutes scene or something like that. It's yeah, it's so well done. Um, and they're all wearing. I, I should add, they're all wearing uh, the Netherlands orange, like they just came from a soccer game, which yes. is uh, a nice touch. <laughs> um. The in London, Beck uses Edith to orchestrate his biggest illusion yet, a fusion of all four elementals, using it as a cover to kill MJ and any others to whom she might have revealed his secret. Parker breaks through the illusion, regains control of Edith, and defeats Beck, who dies by a misfired drone gunshot. Parker returns to New York City and begins a relationship with MJ. Um, all right, so we're at the big finale, it's a big battle. This main battle against the air elemental slash uh, dro- uh, drones uh, I found underwhelming yeah but the end fight with Beck and then the side fight with Hogan and the kids against the two or three drones uh, was well done but the main fight against the air elemental drones um, was underwhelming but the one thing I did love is how they show how the drones are doing what they're doing. Like they have that shot of the drones underwater, creating those waves and then destroying those rocks, giving you an idea of exactly what is really happening as opposed to what the drones are showing in the holographic image. Yeah. And it's worth, worth mentioning there that I don't need, uh, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you, but I don't need a full explanation of like everything that the drones are doing. You just need to convince me as an audience member that these drones are adhering to the laws of the universe. These are not magical drones. They are technology created by Tony Stark. We get a little bit of a taste of how they work, like seeing them create waves underwater and like your, your brain kind of fills in the gaps after that. Mm -hmm. Like you just need to show me that it's possible that these things could have created it. And I don't need the explanation outside of that. I, I can suspend my disbelief for the rest, you know? Yeah. And I think they do it perfectly. Yeah. Um, so I, I like how he solves how to get rid of all the drones, connects them all by webs, electrocutes them all fine. But I found the, I guess the geography inside that big era until I found a little confusing or yeah, I didn't quite get mapped out. Yeah, yeah. But the fight, also when the final fight inside the hallway or whatever you want to call it, the walkway with Beck was great. But yeah. when all the drones are chasing him around, I again I found I'm like, too, it, it's too much. It's it was it was just too much for me. Yeah. And this is actually um, this is another thing um, with the the lack of a Spidey sense being sort of an underdeveloped plot point. Mysterio doesn't really come off as a strong enough villain in my opinion like Mm -hmm. the villain should always pose a very real and very serious threat to your protagonist yes that's how you build stakes in your movies and i think if they had developed like the spidey sense is the perfect counter to mysterio he's all about illusion he's all about deception but a spidey sense is just the ultimate counter to that yeah so if they had developed his lack of a spider sense a little bit more i think uh, it we would have had a, a little bit more stakes in this battle because I never really believed like obviously it's the MCU so Spider-Man's never going to lose but I never really had that moment of doubt where like I thought Mysterio could best him you know yeah I understand yeah totally I get it uh, Jake Gyllenhaal just acting up a storm having a blast uh, I do like that 
they show Beck get shot, and then you think Spider-Man's got the drop on him, but then the Peter Tingles come and save him. It's it's really well done. Uh, there was a... I don't know if you... I didn't quite catch this, but it's a nice little touch um, in the, I guess, the the Royal Crown Room or the the little museum where the kids are being hunted by the drones the kids use three pieces of weaponry to save themselves each one symbolizing one of the avengers so obviously one of them is a shield yeah um, Ed, because, ned, because there's a great moment with happy uh throwing it and saying <laughs> how does cap do that yeah ned <laughs> grabs a shield symbolizing cap betty brent tips over the armor symbolizing iron man mm-hmm Zendaya has the mace symbolizing the hammer from Thor. Aw. Yeah, I guess a hammer would have been a little bit too on the nose, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. Uh, then, yeah, did you want to touch on anything in there? Because now we're getting, we're basically at the end, and then we're going to have to talk about the end credit scenes. You know what? Um, nothing in, in the actual battle, but there's a moment that we that we neglected to talk about uh, when Spider-Man gets picked up by Happy in the Netherlands. Um, first of all, when they're in the field, there's a funny moment where uh, they make reference to uh, Peter renting an adult video or something like that. Yes. That's kind of funny. But then Tom Holland really flexes his, uh, his acting muscles and his real muscles uh, and uh, complains about how uh, like he, he can't be trusted to do anything. Tony trusted him to do this thing and, uh, and he's failed. And you really felt, uh, you really believed him that he, he felt like a complete failure in that moment. And he did fuck up. He, he fucked up big time by, get, by giving Edith to Mysterio. Yeah. Um, and you can really feel the weight that he feels on his shoulders from taking over the mantle from Tony Stark. And Happy does a really, really good job of taking him out of that, out of that rut and, and building him up. And then, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you comment on this, but I do have to say the moment when he's building his suit and Happy just looks over at him silently, and Peter says, "What?" And Happy just goes, "Nothing." I'm getting I'm getting chills talking about it. Right? I'm seriously like, goosebumps on the back of my neck right now talking about it because you just know Happy's looking over at him, thinking about how much he looks like Tony Stark yes. in that moment. And I'm 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 seriously getting I'm getting a Peter tingle right now. Nice. <laughs> that was like a brilliant moment. It was so good. Yeah. I don't think John Favreau gets enough credit for what he does as Happy Hogan. And yeah, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. It's a moment of oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's so proud. And yeah. he's so happy. Haha. <laughs> to see Parker in his element and following in the footsteps of his mentor. And it is, it's a fantastic moment. And yeah, that scene, you're right. And I'm so thankful you brought it back up because I, I, did, I didn't even talk about it and I had actually forgotten about it on Holland, just absolutely killing it as Parker breaking down over the mistake he's made. Yeah, and that's, I think, uh, that's, if, if you recall when we talked about Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, like my favorite scene in that movie is where Peter's under all the rubble and he just he starts crying. Like, he's just a kid. Like you kind of forget with how mature Tom Holland is and with how uh, capable Spider-Man seems at every turn. Like when he breaks down like this, he, he's just a kid. He has no <laughs> he has no preparation for the responsibility that's been that's been put on him in this universe. 
And it's the acting of Tom Holland that gets the weight of that across so perfectly. Oh, I agree. Yeah, the kid, the kid's got a good future ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to New York. There's some great, as always, Spidey swinging through the streets of New York scenes. I guess they had a plan for uh, for MJ to to, uh, to try out swinging. I love that she didn't like it. <laughs> because every other Spider-Man movie, some he takes someone for a swing and they think it's the greatest thing in the world, and she's burying her face in him. She's like, "I hate this. Stop <laughs> it." Again, it's it's a new MJ, right? Like yeah. this MJ probably wouldn't want to do this. Like, yeah, I believe that that's an authentic reaction from her. It's a. I think it's an authentic reaction from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kirsten Dunst is just so chill about the whole thing in oh, the, super in the chill. movies. It's super chill. It's and so... I, I can't I can't speak to Emma Stone because I didn't bother watching the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Uh, speaking of the Amazing Spider-Man movies, the first one's okay. The second one's an atrocity. But I heard it's really fucking bad. It is really fucking bad, with the exception, and this is because they were dating. The chemistry between Garfield and Stone on screen is magnetic, magnetic. Yeah. They are so good together in that movie. You're telling me uh, Paul Giamatti as Rhino didn't do it for you? The the what? Ten seconds he's on screen? Probably. I don't. I couldn't tell you. I he, just know that he was in that movie and it was bad. Yeah, he's 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 the that's the last shot of the film. Spoilers for the Amazing Spider-Man two. Um, he's literally in the movie for ten seconds. If that's that. great, it's like the closing shot of the film. Anyways, whatever. So he's like he's like the underminer in the Incredibles one. Yes, that's exactly what he is. <laughs> that's ex- that. Well done. Yes, you could you could not have said it better. That is exactly <laughs> that's fantastic. Yes, that's exactly who he is. Um, and then that's the that's the end of the movie. Or so we think. So before we rev- we talk about these two, uh, the mid credit scene and the post credit scene. I want to propose a question for you, yeah, fair of sir. Please. Have there been any two post-movie scenes in any MCU film that has affected the universe as much as these two? Um, any two? No. Uh, because yeah, because these set up some pretty big conflicts moving forward. Huge. You talked about how you liked how they didn't make MJ dumb. You liked how they allowed her to deduce the identity of Spider-Man. I did not expect them to allow the entire universe to deduce the identity of Spider-Man. That was a ballsy move, and I like it, kind of. I'm excited to see where they go with that. Yes. So what Sam's referring to is in the first mid credit scene is that we have someone returning to their role as we get Academy Award winner. Say it again for the people in the back, Manny. Academy Award winner and star of one of your favorite movies, Whiplash. Yes. J.K. Simmons. And the crowd goes wild. Coming back as J. Jonah Jameson because there is nobody else in the world that could play this part. Easily one of the best, one of the best parts of the original trilogy. Oh, uh, oh, hands down. Movies. He he is so perfect as J. Jonah Jameson. It's like it's the same as Patrick Stewart as Professor X. Like this is perfect 
casting. And when he came on screen, I may have screamed a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there were audible gasps in my theater. Yes. And the perfect thing is that they're obviously we're updating for the time. So the Daily Bugle is no longer a newspaper because who collects newspapers? He's an Alex Jones, almost kind of conspiracy theorist. (laughs) And he got a hold or was sent some footage from Beck revealing that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and that the attack on London was Spider-Man's fault. Yes. I like how there's even this sort of underlying sub-narrative in this movie. Well, this underlying subplot about narrative, really, Mm because that's that's all Mysterio is trying to do. He's saying... Like there, there's one line he has in this movie where like they'll see what I want them to see, and then you have Ale- the Alex Jones esque conspiracy guy, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, at the end. Like there, there's like Mysterio's plan largely revolves around controlling the narrative uh, that the media portrays him as. And Peter even has a line in the movie at some point. I, I don't think I took a note of it, but uh, he said like if we can't trust the news, who can we trust? Or I think it's Peter who says that, right? I think so. Or the, or the news wouldn't lie to us. I don't know, something like that. So there's even, like, this sort of build-up to this reveal kind of in the in the background thematically. Yep. So, yeah, I, I do I do like that, how, uh, like, Mysterio, uh, even in death, uh, unintentional pun with Edith, I guess, but even in death, he's still trying to control the spin on what exactly happened, mm-hmm. unless he isn't really dead, but we can, you know, that's, a, that's another rabbit hole entirely. Yep, totally. But, yeah, he, he's just trying to control the spin of, like, Peter's the villain, Mysterio's the hero, and J. Jonah Jameson is the only one who knows the truth. Yes. Because there's lizard people out there. That's my best Alex Jones. It's <laughs> n- not fantastic. Well done. I like it. Um, so that, th- what a great, great mid-credit sequence, which sets up Spider-Man 3 as something that's going to be, I- I'm excited to see where it goes. Hopefully they don't bring back Topher Grace. Yeah, hopefully. My boy, Topher Grace, but hopefully they don't bring him back. And then with the post credit scene, this is where they answer... This is where they basic, basically cleared up my mind on what I was having a problem with in the movie. Because, Which was Fury is too dumb? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, Fury's not this dumb. Like, There's no way Beck would get by Fury. And then what we discover is that our old friend Talos and Soren have been playing Fury and Mariah Hill. <laughs> yeah, um, th- there's a moment in the middle of the movie, if you recall, where uh, Spider-Man's trying to list off a bunch of, like, isn't there anyone who can take care of this? How about Thor? And uh, Fury says, no, Thor's off planet. And he says, what about Captain Marvel? And what does Fury say? Fury says something like... Do not invoke her name. Do not invoke her name. Yes, that's exactly what he says. And that line makes so much sense with respect to this end credit scene. There was one other line he says that gives it away too, but it's so subtle that I didn't catch it. Um, when Fury introduces Mysterio to Peter, he says, Beck is from Earth, just not yours, instead of ours. Ooh, okay, all right. I mean, that line, yeah, okay, that line makes, yeah, okay, the context does make that one better. Yeah, no, I can buy that, for sure. Oh, and there's actually another one. Um, The first word of dialogue um, 
is um, if you remember in Captain Marvel, everyone calls him Fury. Yes. But when um, the very first spoken word in this movie is Mariah Hill addressing Fury as Nick. Ooh. In Mexico. Wow. And I didn't. I like that. I did not catch that at all. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's some that's some next level detail management right there. Yeah, I fucking love it. I fucking love it. Um, the do you want some real nerdy shit? Sure. Okay, this is long, so bear with me. This is super nerdy, and I was listening to a podcast today, uh, and on the podcast they brought in like this guy who they always bring back for all the Spider Man movies, so. Um, homecoming, they brought him in and they brought him in for our, uh, Jesus. Pro- probably like Endgame and Infinity War. And... No. No. The fucking, the animated one that I fucking love. Oh, uh, Spider Verse. Thank you. And this, this guy is like probably the foremost expert on Spider Man. And right. of course, I can't remember his name, but here we go. So he was mentioning these. So when he's mentioning these, I'm like, I got to dig this up because this is fucking unbelievable. Okay. When the elementals appear, there are various signs that refer to Spider-Man's comic history. A boat sign reads ASM-212 during the water elemental attack. The water villain Hydro-Man made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 212, ASM-212. That is some nerdy shit right there. That is amazing. There's more. Oh, good. A car bears a license plate reading 463 during the Earth Elemental attack. The Earth villain Sandman made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 4, September 1963. 463. Man. A car bears a license plate reading 2865SEP during the Fire Elemental attack. The fire villain Molten Man made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 28, September 1965. A car bears a license plate reading TASM-143 during the final elemental, incorporating all of the elements into a Voltron elemental attack. The air villain Cyclone made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 143, April 1975. Damn, that is some nerdy shit. That is some nerdy shit. That some guy saw, recognized, and wrote. <laughs> and then you also wrote and repeated. Yes, because I'm a huge nerd and love little shit like that. Is, is that a better sequence of Easter eggs the same or worse than the Jackie Robinson 42s that are hidden throughout Spider-Verse? Not even close to the Jackie Robinson 42s. <laughs> that, okay, just wanted to check. That hits close to home. Um, I Oh, sorry. Um, so that wraps up our, uh, our, our, I guess, our review on the main parts of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Sam, what was your favorite scene? Uh, favorite scene, you could probably guess just by listening to me talk about it. It was uh, the scene uh, in, the, uh, in the aircraft with Happy and Peter. It's a super emotional scene, uh, really well acted by both parties, uh, well-written dialogue. And then the moment that they allow to play out silently with uh, Happy recognizing that Peter has truly taken over Tony Stark's mantle. Uh, that just gives me goosebumps to talk about. So uh, it's the scene in the aircraft with probably an honorable mention to J. Jonah Jameson's return. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to go with the 
the nightmare scene where he meets up with what he thinks is Fury, um, the visuals, the, I guess, the way that he manipulates Spider-Man the whole time, falling, hitting, everything. It's so visually amazing. Um, that might be my favorite scene. A very close second is the school's opening news report. I fucking, yes. I can't get over it. The blip, the people returning, my younger brother's now my older brother. I was dying. I was dying the whole time. So I, I think I might go to the school's opening news report. Um, Honestly, for all the problems that this movie has, which we've listed off for sure, there are so many good moments. Like, I, like we could have even done the initial drone strike on the bus. Like, that was a great scene. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a bunch we could have chosen. Yeah, the opening montage that you said, yeah, bun- bunch of different ones. Yeah, and I don't think either one of it, like neither one of us hated this movie. It no, it, not it, at all. I think what all. it does is just really highlights how good Homecoming was. Mm-hmm. Um, closing thoughts on Spider-Man: Far From Home, Sam. Yeah, I think you just basically said it. Is that um, this? I did not by any means hate this movie. It's it. I hope nobody got that impression from me talking about this and tearing this apart. I'll always try to go into things unbiased and uh, list their pros and cons as I see fit. But this is still quite a good movie. Uh, it's if there's what roughly 20 movies in the MCU right now, it's probably in the you know 12th to 8th place range, like right in the middle there. Uh, it's it's quite good. Um, it has its issues. I didn't like the treatment of the conflict between Mysterio and Peter. I thought Peter had it too easy, uh, and I didn't really get a sense of stakes in the final battle. That was probably the biggest issue with the writing. Um, but other than that, uh, I, I think there's a lot of fun moments. It has a lot to offer. It gives us a good sense of what the world is like post-Blip and what Peter is like post-Blip and uh, how he hasn't really gotten over his ex, Tony Stark. And uh, I really like how they... Uh, allow that growth to to play out over time and how the healing process can play out uh, pretty naturally. So, yeah, surprisingly emotional movie. Overall, it's obviously going to be funny. It has some really good comedic moments, really good performances. So I was uh, I got basically what I paid to go watch. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to echo those. I, I had a really great time. I laughed a lot. I was thoroughly entertained. There were some problems. There were some problems with the movie that I was willing to forgive, um, probably two of the greatest mid and post credit scenes in MCU history. The villain, I really enjoyed. Sam, not quite as much, but there's nothing wrong with that. I, Tom Holland, just fucking knocking it out of the park again as the greatest Spider-Man and Peter Parker that we've seen cinematically. It was a lot of fun and definitely worth watching. I, I will... If I ha- if I had the time, I would go see this again in the theater. Unfortunately, I don't because I am on a tight deadline to try and get my homework done for next week, and yes. I don't see any free time available. So yes, I I for once am actually ahead on the homework of Manny. I've actually seen more of uh, the thing that we will be watching than he has. But I'm also in the middle of Calgary Stampede right now, so uh, I'm in the middle of going to concerts basically every night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is this was an, an absolute joyride and uh, something that uh, I am excited to rewatch again. That being said, I don't feel it's as good as the first one, and I agree it's a, it's a mid-level uh, MCU movie. I, I like your rankings. I would say I, I think this is the 22nd film in their in their cinematic universe. I would put it you know 
you know, in the 10 to 14 range, probably most likely I would love to kind of revisit my rankings around there. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, if you haven't seen it, then you're probably not still listening to me at this point. So go see it. Um, <laughs> Sam, your rating out of five. Uh, you know what? You're holding up a big number three right now. I've been, again, back and forth. I think I'm still going to give it a four. It, it does have some issues uh, that, that I had problems with. Namely, I don't think the um, the conflict between Peter and Mysterio was treated well enough. I, I thought Mysterio was a little bit too similar in his motivation to Vulture, and that may be just a function of the source material, so yeah. maybe that can be forgiven. Um, and then also Peter, um, his, uh, his decision... You know, his, we I don't get a good sense of him being torn between his two identities as we get in other iterations of Spider-Man. Outside of those three things, this movie's pretty fucking enjoyable. There's a lot of great moments, both comedy and emotionally. Um, yeah, so I, I think this movie has enough good to outweigh the bad. I'm still going to give it a four. Wicked. Yeah, this is a four for me. Uh, there's just was far, there's far, far, far far too much for me to like in this movie for me to even consider giving it a three um yeah it's i i i honestly just really want i just echo what sam said i i loved it <laughs> i had a ton of fun it's an it's a pretty easy four for me yeah even uh, even the mid-tier mcu as we've said even the mid-tier mcu is better than most movies that are going to come out this year oh i agree 100 percent um, Sam, why don't we tell? Why don't you tell them what we got? Oh, how you know what? I'll do. I'll do social media. Why don't we do that? Uh, yeah, for sure. those of you listening, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five star rating and a nice positive review, it will increase our exposure and allow more people to find this lovely little podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. If you want to send us a little email, let us know what you thought. I'd love to hear from you at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week, we got episode 65. We're going to be talking about season three of a, uh, a Netflix original show, one that Manny and I have both seen the first two seasons of and we've been working on catching up on. That is Stranger Things. So season three dropped on the 4th of July. Uh, we're in the middle of catching up on it. And next week is also a special episode. I believe the, uh, what did you call it earlier, the two-time crew? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe uh, the two-timers will be getting another member in Adam is going to be coming back. That's right. Adam Lazanero. He uh, canceled on us before. Yeah. Let's see if he can for, hold. Uh, for point, point Break, right? For for Point. No. No. Uh, God damn it. It's going to bug me. It was not Point Break. Mike was always on Point Break. Right. Oh, no. Sorry. Yeah. That's that's what I was remembering. Chards did do Point Break with uh, us. Drive. Drive. Drive was the one that he ducked out yeah. on. He fucking totally bailed on us on Drive like a motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but he has uh, vowed to return next week for Stranger Things Season 3, Adam Lazanero returns to join the, I think I call it the two-time club, but I like two-time crew even better. <laughs> Has a better ring to it, for it sure. It really, really does. Uh, so uh, with that being said, we're looking forward to next week. I got to start watching probably what I'm going to do as soon as we finish up here. So for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Come on, Peter Tingle. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!